Welcome to Team Perry's Step Out of Line podcast, featuring co-hosts Perry and Lori Finkelstein. Together, they explore, meet, and share inspirational stories with guests who have made a positive impact in today's world. This podcast resonates with our hope to make this world a better place one step at a time through love, acceptance, and uplifting conversations. I think I have stepped out of line by defying expectations of my family. That's the first thing that came to mind. My mom sells mortgages. My dad is a dentist. They are really into education. Both my grandparents were professors. And I love education, but I I took a very risky path with sort of no barrier to entry. Anybody can enter. There's a lot of unknowns and uncertainties. I feel it all the time. I, I still have emotional roller coasters and financial instability. I just turned 32. I see a lot of my friends getting married, having babies, and I'm really on a different path. And so I think that is that is the first thing that came to mind in terms of stepping out of line. What path did you start out on and where are you now? Well, I actually think that the path started long before I did. I know you mentioned Alex Borstein's grandmother. My grandmother was in the Holocaust as well. So was her entire family. And I talk to my mom about this all the time that we pull from their strength because anytime I go through anything difficult, I think about what they went through and how they came to this country with no money and didn't speak the language and just figured it out. And so I called my great aunt Margie right before I started my podcast, Pretty Smart, which was a little over two and a half years ago. And she was 98 at the time and she had a thick Dutch accent. And I said, Margie, I'm, I'm really struggling. I never produced a show on my own and I want it to be perfect. And I told her all about the concept of Pretty Smart, that it's about interviewing women who put a new spin on pretty. And she said, Danielle, I came to this country with nothing. You can start a podcast. <laughs> and <laughs> I think about that all the time because I think that that um, sort of informs everything that my mom and I set forth on our path always. So I grew up in Chicago and went to school in Madison, Wisconsin, and I started doing local news. I always loved telling stories. And when I graduated school, I thought, you know, I think the internet is going to be a thing. And so I told my parents, I'm moving to LA, I'm booking a one-way ticket. And my dad said, to work on the internet? You're selling photos of your feet? What do you think you're going to do? And I said, no, I'm, I'm, I think that the internet is going to be what news media used to be. And so I lived in a garage. Actually, my grandmother's friend from growing up in Holland let me live in her garage. And I started doing red carpets for free. And I started meeting celebrities and um, like truly if a dog in LA had a birthday party, I was covering it. It was, so nice. it was ridiculous. I, I literally interviewed Christina Milian's dog, <laughs> not my finest moment, um, but eventually it turned into a full-time job. And so I got a few lucky breaks. I got some exclusives as they call them, where like somebody tells you information that they don't tell someone else. That turned into a job at a place called Clever TV, which was a digital media group. 
and eventually worked at Entertainment Tonight Online and hosted a morning show in Chicago. And then uh, now I've been working at E! for a show called While You Were Streaming and then my own podcast, Pretty Smart. Is there one question that always stands out that you never leave an interview without asking? So I like a mix of light and fun and deeper and more reflective. So uh, for light and fun, I love the idea of do plants thrive or die in your care? Because I think you can tell a lot about somebody. Like, for instance, they die in my care right. <laughs> on an airplane. And then a deeper one that I really love is what's something that uh, you wish people saw or knew about you that they don't see at first glance. Maria Shriver, I interviewed her for my podcast and I asked her that and she said, I wish people knew I was really funny. I have a great sense of humor. And I remember thinking, I feel the same way actually, because I think that people that love to ask questions are great listeners and people think of them as really serious, but I really love to laugh. I can tell you do too, Perry. We find a lot of people we interview, we get a lot of people to cry. Not on purpose. Not on purpose. Um, and all of a sudden the interview sort of, you know, kind of changes. Sometimes we cry. I mean, we interviewed Daryl Strawberry and we, we were all crying at the end of that. What is it do you think about this medium that gets people to open up and feel they can be vulnerable and not have to worry about any repercussions. You know, it's it's just you and I talking. What what makes you think that this is, you know, you saw it years ago, the internet, you know, it's this is this is what's happening. What do you think it's about it? You know, I think the internet does have some downsides, as we all know, but in a lot of ways, I think it's brought information to us and and that we've shared with each other that we've always kept hidden. I, I think particularly for women, because so much was unspoken. I think menopause is still unspoken about in a lot of ways, but a lot of things about our bodies and transition. And I think the internet makes people feel seen because they look at other people and think, oh, me too. That happened to me too. Or I feel that also. I've been lucky enough to hear Gloria Steinem speak a few times. And no matter when or where I hear her speak, she talks about this and she said, Every revolution she's ever seen has started with a group of people in some small basement or apartment just telling their stories and saying, oh, yeah, that happened to me also. That happened online. I mean, we saw that with the Me Too movement, right? Like Alyssa Milano posted one tweet and then all of a sudden hundreds of thousands of women chimed in Me Too. Was there anybody you ever interviewed where you were like, oh, my God? For sure. Yeah. I, I mean, like when I was younger... I had really big opportunities at a young age. And so I was interviewing Viola Davis and Leonardo DiCaprio and Bradley Cooper for their Oscar run. This was probably six or seven years ago. And I'm like nearly a decade in. So I was pretty like, it was my first year out in LA. And I was scared out of my mind. But I also think that was coupled with a naivete that I'm grateful for because I didn't understand how Hollywood worked. I didn't understand the expectations of people. I didn't understand the questions you were supposed to ask. So I asked whatever I was interested in. I think there was something disarming about that. I think they could feel my sincerity. They definitely felt that I was new. I mean, I, you know, they could tell I was young. I used to dance when I was younger and my dance teacher, Alyssa, I, I would get nervous before every dance. And she used to say to me, uh, if you feel like you have to pee or you have nerves, it means you care. 
lean into it. Cause I used to think when I started TV, I, I was nervous as soon as they would yell three, two, one action. And we were live. And I think about that all the time because some of my colleagues say they don't get nervous. I, to this day still feel, I don't have the same nerves I did at the beginning. Cause I feel like I know what I'm doing now more, but I still get nervous. Even for a podcast interview, I get butterflies because I care. So I always think about it like that. But excitement, because I know when we interviewed Alex recently, we were planning. We were a wreck. Right, she was a wreck. And then, and then I woke up that morning and I was like, "We're doing it! I can't believe we're doing." Because it was like we dreamt about this for, for four years that this would happen. I think people respect people who put themselves out there, and you have put yourself out there in such a meaningful way that I think people look at your email and think. This person is so accomplished. How could I say no? You know, like, I, I just think that they probably want to speak with you as much as you want to speak with them. Perry, when you have a tough day, when you feel hopeless, maybe, um, I know there's days where I feel that way. Um, what do you do to pick yourself up? I just put it in chocolate. <laughs> she eats chocolate. I just kind of put it down, whatever that is. And then hit out the next day, push early, and know that I have to do it. I have no choice. I move on the way. Right. Yeah, early. Yeah, she's very, very structured. I'm not open and open every day. Not all treatments. I know I have to do it. Like, I've been doing it since I was little. But sometimes it's painful or. Not in the mood She said, I don't know how many people read my blog. I don't know why this video on Instagram people didn't like it. And she spends a lot of time like editing, a lot of time filming, a lot of time and everything. Yeah. And, she, you know, it's like an artist who doesn't feel like they are appreciated yet. And I think she's still in that stage. I said, look, you're putting together a body of work. I think the right people will gravitate toward you. You find your community. I, I mean, my podcast, when it started, I was bummed out at the numbers and people told me to expect that because social media doesn't translate to the podcast world in many ways um and two years later it's grown tremendously and i know um everybody's on a different timeline but i i do believe in the power of consistency so just st stay at it what is the one question that you you that no one knows about a secret weapon question. Perry, you're asking a good question. I heard this quote years ago that people that have been through the most have the most to give. And I grew up with a pretty steady upbringing and I didn't really understand that quote. I didn't grow up with a ton, but I had a house with two parents and like a good education. And then in my mid to late twenties, I went through a lot personally. And I woke up after like four years of therapy and a lot of tears. And I realized what that quote meant because heartbreak, whatever that is for you, if it's family heartbreak, health, personal, whatever it is, is so universal and it connects you to everybody else. And so when I interview people, I never interview people who have stories without heartbreak because I, I think that they're boring. I think people that have been through stuff really have something to share. 
And so I love asking people, what is the best thing that didn't work out for you? And then what'd you do about it? And people really have great stories of resilience and usually a little bit of humor involved in it as well. And yeah, resilience and fortitude. Harry gets no all the time. And it's so, so hard to not take the no's personally. Every no I get, like when I ask for somebody to come on my podcast and they say no, it's like, oh. <laughs> Is there anybody that you really want to have on your podcast and you just can't get? And what was your favorite podcast yeah. person that you've had? I'm dying to get Sophia Bush on the podcast. And I have tried so many routes. <laughs> and it has not happened yet. So... I hope when she comes on, we'll pull this tape back up. Who is my favorite person I had on? You know, I wouldn't say favorite because it's like, I think picking a favorite kid or a favorite right. chocolate because I also love chocolate fairy. But there's this one woman named Chelsea Devantes who um, was Jon Stewart's head writer. Her story gave me chills and she's so smart and she's so funny because she's a comedian and her whole purpose in life is to help share women's stories because she felt like the stories that she got to see growing up didn't represent the women that she knew or the, or the woman that she felt like. And also she was raised by a single mom who, uh, ended up moving in with her best friend. So her mom and her mom's best friend raised her because they couldn't afford rent on their own. And I think her perspective and also just that episode, every time I listen to it, it gives me chills and it really inspires me. When you started building all of this together, because I do think it's a team effort, how did you envision it going? And has it gone in that direction or has it blossomed into something else? For me, like I'm 57 and I didn't expect to learn so much at this point in my life. So that's really cool. I do take care of Perry 24 seven. I don't have time to read like I'd wanted to. I don't have the patience for it. You know, I'm just trying to like live through life and survive it. And then I found that, that the joy that I get and just the knowledge that I'm getting from meeting people and hearing their stories, it's like the best education. And you ever think of like teaching a class or speaking? I have a speech that I wrote about questions and the power of questions that I'm hoping to get out there. I don't really know how yet, but I remember Tony Robbins always said, if you know your why, you figure out the how, and that plays in my mind. You're very approachable and people would connect with you, you know, so I think it was like, make me cry. <laughs> oh, we didn't do that yet. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. So how is power of pop culture and what the drive for him behind social connections or is it something that comes naturally? I wrote that, I would say, about six years ago. I started seeing a trend that actors and musicians were becoming more vocal about politics and young people were getting interested and excited about politics. And I think in many ways, pop culture and politics overlap. So I think a good example is Caitlyn Jenner. There have been trans people around for thousands of years. Um, the Native Americans called them two-spirit. And so it's nothing new. But when Caitlyn Jenner transitioned, all of a sudden, it became water cooler talk. And now we're talking about trans rights. I think when Kim Kardashian did the paper magazine cover where she had the champagne bottle like on her tush and the term break the internet came from that magazine cover, people were so angry. And I remember looking at the comments thinking, are they angry because they dislike Kardashian culture or are they angry because we desexualize moms in America? 
And they didn't think she should be doing that because she was a mom. And so I like to break down pop culture topics in a sociological way and think about how they hold a mirror up to where we are and where we're going. Because I think in many ways they do. And it's a more digestible way to think about things than thinking about if a bill is passing in Congress. That's hard for, for me and a lot of people to fully understand or maybe boring to read. But if you talk about it in terms of Brad Pitt, it's like, oh, I get that. One of the things I've been thinking about lately is how any journey, whether you're an entrepreneur, a mother, anything you take on that is difficult and challenging, I think when we share on social media, we don't share the hard stuff. And my Instagram is very curated. And I think that if anybody is going through anything, to know that it's never all glittery. And so to just keep doing it. I think, as you said to Perry about the podcast, like keep finding your voice and something beautiful will happen. We don't know what the beautiful thing is, but it will, something beautiful will happen.